0: Hi, this is Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the Weekly Top 3, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of November 20th, 2023. The Weekly Top 3 is a regular weekly segment on The Michael Duke Show. The show broadcasts on both Facebook Live and YouTube Live, as well as via streaming audio from the show's website weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. we discuss what we will be looking for the administration's upcoming FY25 budget and 10-year outlook. Second, we explain why, although Juno appears to see the consequences of the problem, they don't seem to realize that they're the cause. And third, we explain why former Governor Frank Murkowski's recent op-ed provides additional support for restructuring the Permanent Fund Board.
1: And now let's join Michael. Let's get started, Brad. We've got uh, we got a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, we're going to start off this morning with uh, looking at the administration's uh, 10 year budget, 10 year plan. Uh, give us the give us the rundown here and uh, let's get started. Let's get started there.
0: Well, unfortunately, I think we've already we're starting to hit budget season uh, where the, the dominant discussion will be uh, what's in the governor's budget, what's not in the governor's budget, what what people want to do with the governor's budget, why the governor's budget is bad. That always seems to be a topic that comes up. Uh, but we're hitting the season. and And you can tell that by just looking at the newspaper articles. Uh, there's one in the, in the Frontiersman that says University of Alaska Regions approve FY25 budgets um, and send them on to the administration. There's an article in the Newsminer that says the Golden Valley Electric uh, makes, makes case to interior delegation. And the thing that struck me about that was not only are they pressing for the $200 million to, to match the federal government. Uh, grant that we talked about uh, last the, the the grant that we talked about in last week's show, but they're pressing for an additional four hundred million dollars on top of that to uh, to do some additional uh, strengthening of uh, of the uh, transmission line that runs uh, runs up the rail belt. So we got that. We've got uh, an, another article in the in the news miner says local child care morphs into a university outreach plan. And it talks about how the university is building up a child care center for university employees but have gone to uh, uh, the borough i think uh, to get the borough to push for an expansion of that child care center as funding for an expansion of that child care center as part of the uh, as part of the borough's legislative plan and then they could take more than just employees uh, kids of employees from uh, the university and then there's uh, uh, an article in the Alaska Public Media, uh, Alaska Child Care Task Force releases recommendations to a uh, child care crisis. And there's a passage down here that says, and then we'll be moving on to the next sort of three topic areas, which is looking at access to child care, the quality of child care, and then the subsidies. Not even a question about subsidies, but, but what kind of subsidies, how much, where to focus them. Um, and of course we got K through 12. We got the, you know, the, the push for K through additional K through 12. We got the push for additional, uh, uh defined benefits and, and all sorts of, of spending ideas that, that people are pressing for, uh, uh, for this budget cycle. As far as I can tell, none of these, uh, none of these pushes, uh, come with, uh, any sort of advice to the legislature on who pays or how we pay for right. uh, that, uh, that additional funding, but, but all sorts of things. But here's here's the basic issue that that is uh, uh, occurring or is driving me. We do a call, we do a, a chart every Friday as part of our Friday chart series that sort of looks at the ten years forward based on current oil prices and based upon updates to the permanent fund earnings uh, that uh, the permanent fund corporation publishes during the years and. From FY25, which is going to be the budget we're fighting about when we come back, when we come back to session next year, from FY24 forward, we're running billion dollar deficits every year. Uh, uh, from FY25 forward, the the deficit in FY25 is a billion twelve, double uh, what the deficit, what the deficit is in uh, more than double what the uh, deficit is in uh, FY24. A uh, billion 12 uh, in FY25, a billion 49 in FY 26, a billion 28 uh, deficit in uh, FY27. The average deficit over the entire period is a billion 66 Yeah, there. You got it up on the got it up on the screen. The average deficit uh, over the 10-year period is a billion 66. So what we're going to be looking for, and that's before you layer in, um, an additional $200 million for GEA and then $400 million on top of that and expanded childcare and Fairbanks and, and the subsidies that the childcare task force is going to talk about, uh, the additional case is before you layer in additional K through 12 spending is before you layer in defined benefits. It's before you layer in any of that additional spending. This is the base that we're facing, uh, before we get, uh, to any of that, uh, under current law, uh, based upon what the current law says about the PF, about the PFD, but even if you start looking at at, at cases that assume cuts of the PFD, we can't. We, we still have a deficit in FY25 if we uh, cut the PFD to to POMV fifty fifty, and we have a deficit that exceeds uh, the permanent fund earnings that 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 still produces a deficit even if. We cut to POMB's uh, twenty-five seventy-five. We have a deficit in in, uh, in that begins in FY twenty-seven and extends throughout the remainder of the period. So th- these are these are huge numbers that we're looking at. And what what I'm going to be looking for um, uh, in in the context of the governor's upcoming budget, which will be released by the middle of December, what I'm going to be looking for is what he does about this. Um, in last year, we had the, we had the smoke and mirrors of carbon credits. Remember carbon credits? That was going to solve everything. We were going right, to go right. out and sell all these, sell all these carbon credits. That was going to be a new revenue source that was going to wipe. Well, we haven't heard anything about carbon credits, uh, since the, since the legislative session. And, and that appears to have, have faded away the year before that it was, we're going to do spending cuts that, that never occurred. Um, and so it the governor, the the question I'm going to be looking at is one, how the governor treats all these requests for additional spending. Everybody wants to layer money on top. We are, we have no shortage of ideas about how to spend money. Heck in GVEA's uh, presentation uh, to the, to the legislative uh, uh, delegation, they even have, they even have Susitna Watana uh, at listed as a, as a legislative priority. That's down the list, thank goodness. But you know, billions of dollars to to do Susitna Watana. That's the that's the dam that everybody wants to put on the, or at one time everybody wanted to put on the Susitna River. Um, we there's no shortage of ideas of how to spend money. The problem is there's a shortage of money, a huge shortage of money, a huge shortage of shortage of revenue. And it's and it's not good enough for the governors to say, I mean, looking at looking at those deficit numbers, it's not good enough for the governor to say well we're just not going to add any additional spending it's not even good enough for the governor to say well we're going to we're going to cut spending some here and there we're going to tighten spending here here and there none of that is sufficient to overcome the size of the deficits uh, that we're talking about none of that is sufficient to overcome the size of the deficits even if you assume we go to pomb 2575 i mean the the absolute horrible case of going to pomb seven, 25, 75. None of that is good enough to overcome the deficits. If we go to, if we go to that level. So the question we're going to look at this year, and I've probably said this for the last, heck, okay, maybe the last 10 years, but the question we're going to look at is how is the governor going to deal with this issue, the, the budget imbalance long-term? Are we going to finally have uh, some discussion uh, about, uh, about equitable revenues to replace uh, using PFD cuts? Are we going to have some discussion about uh, other realistic new revenue sources? Are we going to go back to a 2019 discussion about deep cuts that you know generated all of the pushback that ultimately potentially or almost led to uh, his recall? What, how is the governor going to deal with this? And to us, we go back to his first uh, to his first uh, 10-year plan when he was first elected governor in the, in the, the, the first 10-year plan he put out uh, ultimately in the spring of 2019. And then it was followed up by the 10-year plan he produced in the fall of 20 or in, in December of 2019 that said you needed uh, additional revenues, equitable revenues to replace PFD cuts, a little bit of everything, a little bit of cuts, a little bit of additional revenues, a little bit of PFD cuts um, was what he said then. And then that was followed up by the, the legislature's fiscal policy working group that said essentially the same thing. You need a little bit of everything, get everybody involved, get everybody making some concessions on the spending side and on the revenue side, everybody making some concessions to get to get to a solution. He's never actually proposed to implement that. It's 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 been in the ten-year plans, but it's never been part of the proposals because one of one piece of those proposals is is a substitute revenue source for PFD cuts. It's never been uh, as as part of his as part of his fiscal plan for an upcoming year's budget. So we need to start looking for that again. I mean, how's the governor going to fit set set aside all of these? hopes and dreams and wishes and pushes for, for additional additional spending that everybody seems to be coming up with these days. Set, set aside all that, how's the governor going to balance the basic budget when we're facing the same size of billion dollar plus deficits going forward uh, that, uh, that we are uh, at, at this point in time?
1: This is so much monkey see, monkey do. The U.S. government doing exactly the same thing in here in Alaska. It's not like this chart that you just put up. It's not like this information is not available to everyone. It's not like this information is not available to the powers that be in the legislature and the finance committee and Mr. Walrus and all that stuff with all the information. It's not like they can't see it coming. I mean, I will say that they will be shocked. Shocked, I tell you, that this has happened. I can't believe There'll be a lot of pearl clutching going on but in the long run, what a uh, what a hot, 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 hot mess for sure. It's not like these numbers are some kind of secret locked away in a vault wherever people with, you know, little pencil holders in their pockets are the only ones looking at it. This is very, 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 very obvious, very plain, uh, and yet, the powers that be in the legislature just keep going like, Oh, I've got another idea. Oh, I've got something else. Oh, we need to add one more thing. Oh, and this other thing. And wouldn't that be great. And uh, I mean, this is not, again, this is two plus two equals four. We, we, it's simple arithmetic. And yet these folks are like, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. We'll have more money to spend. Don't worry. It'll, it'll all, it's all going to work out here. Hold my beer. I mean, that's kind of what it looks like right now.
0: Yeah, I don't know in, in, in these legislative sessions, whether the legislators, it probably depends on the individual legislator, but whether the legislators push back and say either A, tell me where you want me to cut to offset uh, uh, dollars to, to, you know, to, to have your, to adopt your program, to adopt, you know, in the case of GVEA, to adopt your $200 million 400 million dollar proposals tell me where you want to cut or tell me where i get the additional revenues uh to do that not only not only gang not only do i need the revenues to pay for yours but i need the revenues to pay for the billion dollar deficit we got before we get to yours um and and tell me tell me how that's going to happen i mean and then you get the deer in the headlights look the 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 response would be, well, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to tell you where to spend. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I do. I spend the money. I don't, I don't have to raise the money. So that's, you know, you go do that. Um, and, and it's just, you know, I, these people are, are, are living in, in, you know, some sort of fantasy world where they think that we've got excess money, uh, to be spending. We've only got excess money if, you know, we, we had this issue with the, with the Alaska House Coalition a couple of shows ago where, you know, I accused them of lying because they did. Uh, we've only got excess money. We've only got a surplus if you've taxed middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts uh, heavily. And then, you know, then you can say, well, we got we got surplus money. But that only lasts for a couple of years on the, on the trajectory we're on. And that's before adding on additional spending. So I, yeah, Michael, we've been saying it for 10 years. Um, At the outset of the 10 years, we had savings. So it was sort of like, if we don't get this under control, if we don't adopt a sustainable budget, we're going to have to dip into savings. We're stealing from future Alaska generations. And so we, and so for the first few years, it was, Oh, uh, we have we have some savings. Maybe we can get we, we'll paper it over that way and then we'll get to a sustainable budget. Well, we, we went through the savings, and then it was and then it was, you know, we, we we we've got these deficits coming. What are we gonna do? And then the answer was from Bill Walker on was well, we're just gonna cut the PFD to right. balance it out. Yeah, and now you know now, now even PFD cuts. It's at, at some point you can clearly see it in the next 10 years. PFD cuts aren't going to be sufficient. So
1: no, uh, Donna asks, uh, how rosy do you think DOR could make the forecast given the high oil prices that are currently running right now?
0: Uh, oil prices are down. I mean, oil prices are still above the $73, uh, a barrel, uh, prediction for FY23, uh, that, uh, or FY24 that, that DOR had. But F, uh, but DOR, when you look at FY25, oil prices are are down considerably compared to where DOR forecasts them to be. So, there, if you if you would have asked that question maybe a month ago, um, uh, uh, DOR might have been able to cut the deficit down hundred million dollars, two hundred million dollars, using oil prices. uh, But that's not that's not going to occur. These the numbers that I that I had on the chart. These numbers that I'm talking about are at current oil current oil price projection. So, that's where we are given what uh, given what DOR is
1: going to be dealing with. Welcome back to the program. The Michael Luke Show continues. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. It's the weekly top three, which is just our joyous time of year where we give thanks for. Oh no! Wait, that's Thanksgiving. This is something completely different. Uh, slapping people in the face. It's right there right there in front of him, in black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed. Uh, Brad, uh, give it to us. It's all right there, black and white. Juno has uh, uncovered the the secret. (laughs) So the Juno Chamber of Commerce
0: gave their annual presentation, or the Juno Economic Development Commission, one of the two, gave their annual presentation down in Juno, much like occurs in Anchorage with the Anchorage Economic Development Commission, and and, and elsewhere uh, elsewhere through the state when everybody sort of gives their early winter fall report on this on the state of the economy and Juno gave theirs um, and and there's there's an article in the in the Juno Empire about it. it says the headline is Juno's aging population low fertility rates raise concerns about declining future and and that headline leads to the first part of the story which is uh, Juno's losing population people are moving out uh, uh, low fertility rates means that that uh, births aren't replacing deaths and and Juneau is in decline in terms of population. But there's a piece of it about halfway through the article that I just I mean I just laughed, rolled my eyes, everything at and here here's the here's the the piece of the story. Another trend is that shift in workforce and demographics are also reflecting a growing local income gap whole said. Our quote, our trend, just like the rest of the United States, is that the rich are getting richer and the poor aren't doing as well. He said, when we break it down, listen to this, when we break it down, looking at percentiles of income, it's only the top 20 percent that have experienced any growth in income in the last 10 years. The 80 percent below as a group experienced declines in overall wealth. Well, you know, there's one reason there's 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 one there's a number of factors at work but there's one reason for that and that is you're you're only taxing the bottom 80% <laughs> to pay for to pay for government growth, to pay for to pay for state government and government growth. And Juno uses a sales tax and so you've got a regressive tax on the lower 80% that you're using to pay for for local government um as well there's no recognition of that in the story but but that's exactly what's going on and so you know so Juno, on one hand it slaps juno in the face right we're losing population we're losing economic wealth because we've got this income divide and because the 80 the the lower 80% is stagnated in terms of income growth all the income growth going to the top 20% is slapping them in the face but they don't recognize, there's nothing in the article and there was nothing in Brian's re- in, in presentation that recognized one of the big contributing factors of that is you're funding government entirely from the bottom 80% and you're not having the top 20% pay for it. The top 20% enjoys government growth. Heck, if there's any place in the state that enjoys government growth, it's Juno. The top 20% is is enjoying that government growth but it's being funded at the, at the, at the expense of the bottom 80%. And, and, and it's, it's common sense of that course, that's what's can, going. Yeah.
1: Yeah, of course they can't see it, Brad. I mean, I read this whole article and I read the and I read through it and I thought, you know what the whole tone of this article is? The whole tone of the article talks about again the declining number of population, the fact that uh, you know, the the older generation is going to be there, the younger generation is moving out and not there anymore, and the whole pearl clutching on this article was who's going to pay for my government is essentially what it is. I mean, one of their solutions was making sure they became the base for the new ice cutter that was out there, that that would create more jobs and create more service industries that they as elderly people are going to need to be have more services and they don't have enough housing. So that's the government. And then the money quote for me, although your quote is fantastic, don't get me wrong, the money quote for me at the very end was the uh quote uh from uh one of the local uh balls uh, my my uh uh my th- they limit me on the number of articles that I can read on the J- on the Juno Empire uh the, at the very end of the article they quote a uh an insurance provider who says uh some oh, chick, it's the last three can you read it Brad I can't see it now just it's, it's, it's the last three chick, what The last three paragraphs there, starting with the gal uh, who's the insurance provider. Let's see. Where she's asking.
0: Oh, here we are. uh, But meanwhile, the issue of low fertility rates in an aging population is something that needs incentives to change, said Robin Thomas, a local insurance agent. I think there's no incentive to have children, she told Holst. You can't afford that kid the cost of daycare, medical expenses and housing. Holst said he agrees it's a problem and doesn't know a solution.
1: Yeah. Well, except they go on to talk about, except for the subsidies for childcare, that's what they need. I mean, the first of all, the gal's like, well, it just, we just, it it makes no sense to have children because we can't afford the, the, all the, okay. So first of all, if that's why you're having children is because it's all about the money. Uh, you obviously missed the whole boat. there. I mean, this whole thing, you read this whole thing and it's like a love letter to government spending for everything that they need this whole thing. I mean, that's exactly what it is. But
0: they don't recognize, Michael, that it's that it, that it's the additional government spending and the way they're raising revenues for it that's causing the very problem they complain about. That the the very income gap that they complain about is being caused by the way in which they're raising this this state's raising additional re, government revenues. The, the the thing that really you know in the in the back of my mind as I was reading through this was again Sarah Hannon, Representative Sarah Hannon from Juno. Juno's statement on the floor last year, which is free rides as she was responding to those who were arguing to maintain the PFD, not use PFD cuts to fund government. Um, Sarah Hannon's response was, well, free hearts die, die. Free rides die hard uh, is what, is what she said. You know, uh, we don't need the PFD. It's just that it's a free ride and it's dying. hard. Well, Sarah, that very, Revenue approach that you're advocating for is what's killing your city. <laughs> and, and and the brains that, you know, the brainwaves just, the, the synapses must not be firing, must not be adding up down there. No, because, because, you know, they're arguing to continue to use, in fact, even use deeper PFD cuts, continue to use the very thing that's creating the income divide that they're complaining about. I mean, part of the re- part of the reason that the insurance agent can't, um, uh, you know, can't afford kids is because they don't have the money from the, you know, they're the ones that lower the bottom 80% are the ones that are getting hit with the burden of uh, of paying for governments coming out of their hide. So it's, it's like, you know, the, the fact slaps you in the face and you still don't get it. You still no. don't understand that you're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution.
1: Well, that's the thing. It's It just totally comes from a different, you can read the whole article and see it, and it comes from a totally different perspective of they just, I mean, they can't even fathom it from that. They just can't fathom it from that perspective, right? That somehow, somehow government spend is not the solution. I mean, he talks about at the very end there, he talks about, oh, well, we've decided to tax ourselves for childcare, and that's a great start. You know, like we're going to provide for you because you can't justify having a kid because of the cost. And everything. I mean, it's just it.
0: But it's a sales tax. It's a sales tax, Michael. It's a regressive yeah. tax. It's going to hit. I mean, they're just layering one regressive step on top of another. They talk about the problem is the bottom 80 percent aren't, you know, aren't enjoying uh, part right. of the growth, but they're layering one regressive tax on top of another to keep the 80 percent down.
1: It's uh, it's the whole thing is just is is just infuriating. And you're right. They just they just can't see it. And this is this is the way I mean, it's happening in Juneau right now. But what happens as this continues to spread to other parts of the state, you're, you're still seeing an outflow. You're still seeing people leaving. I mean, yeah, they may go to states that have a tax an income tax or some other kind of tax. But I got to tell you, it's uh, you know the reason they're going there is because even with those taxes, they could still save more money and still put more money into their retirements or do whatever, raise their kids and everything else. Alaska is not looking that groovy even without some kind of state tax.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree. It's it's just it's it's just humorous to me, in a, in a very black humor sort of way, I suppose. But it's humorous to me that Juno's complaining about all this. I mean. So, so look at it. So, so the solution to this, as you know, is, is additional taxes, additional sales taxes. That's how we're going to, that's how we're going to solve this. Well, that's just going to make, since it's a regressive tax, that's just going to make your income divide worse. Basically what you're saying is we need to tax the bottom 80% more to make the top 20% better. We're going to complain about the top 20% being better off. And about the 80% being stuck in the mud, but we need a taxi at bottom 80% more just to make the top 20% better and better and better. It's it, it, It'd be great if their brain synapses were firing and they, and they could put two plus two and understand that they're the cause of their own damn problem.
1: Well, with the cognitive biases that they're suffering, they can't. It They just it is it is absolute willful blindness at this point. They just can't see it. It's the same thing we were just talking about in the last segment, where all these numbers. Our brokers who are making these decisions, they know what the 10-year forecast looks like. They know what the spending looks like, but they just put blinders on it and be like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Nobody can see. Nobody can see. Don't look. Don't look. La, 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 la. I mean, that's exactly what's happening. It's the same willful blindness where their own cognitive biases make them believe that somehow, some way, it's all going to work out.
0: Yeah, it's not just the legislators. I mean, remember, it was the governor who came up with carbon credits, That's carbon God. credits. We're going to have a billion dollars in carbon credits in 10 years. Don't worry yeah. about it.
1: Be happy. It's uh, all right. I Now I'm freaking irritated. I mean, Brad, really, I mean, when I read this article, it is a total, uh, I read this this piece about the JEDC, uh, the Juno Economic Development Corp. And the, and the Chamber's report. The whole thing sounds like a love letter to, well, why can't we get more government spend to take care of all these issues that we want? We need to go ask for more. We need to get the cutter here, the ice cutter here and, and the icebreaker. And, and we need to do this. And I can't possibly have children unless the government helps me with my child care. And we just... I just don't understand how are these eight lower 80%. They're the ones that are paying the penalty and these bad, bad top 20%. But you know, we're all top 20% because we all work for government down here. So we need to, I mean, the whole thing is just, it is so freaking tone deaf to everything that else is going on. And the rest of us who are just kind of blue collar living paycheck to paycheck are going, wait, we'd like a little, no, no, unless you are sucking off the government teat or laying sideways in the trough, you're just, and, and this is going to happen across the state, this exodus of people who are finally going to say, you know what? I love Alaska, but the cold, the cost of living, all these other things, I'm not getting ahead. I'm not making more money. In fact, I'm getting more, more, I mean, they're, they're just going to continue to leave. And then what's going to happen?
0: Yeah. You know, to some degree, there, there's all this concern about the doctors leaving. I mean, I know Brian Sweeney, uh, uh, who sometimes listens to the program and may pipe up about this, Brian Sweeney sometimes gets really exorcised about, you know, the fact that we can't attract doctors or doctors are leaving, you know, and you talk about taxes and you just scare, scare the doctors off. I don't, I don't think it's the doctors that, that, that we have to worry about. I mean, the docs in Alaska are doing pretty well. If you look at the, if you look at the income statements and you look at the, the demographics on it, and I think they're doing, I think they're, they're doing just fine. It's the, it's the 80% that that you know that that were that were that were mistreating that that are leaving that are you know struggling to stay to 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 get ahead that are struggling to even you know stay in place um and and yet it's and and so Juno sort of on the one hand i'm sure there weren't many 80%ers 80, 80 in this meeting but but Juno on the one hand sort of says well isn't that too bad you know the 80% aren't aren't getting ahead and, 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 you know, the, the income divide is growing bigger and, you know, people are leaving the people in the 80% are leaving and they're struggling, you know, keeping up with childcare. And isn't that all too bad? We got to come up with a solution for that. How about we tax them more? <laughs> how, how about we cut the PFD, uh, more, uh, in order to, uh, in order to keep them, uh, uh keep them funded. Uh, how about we, uh, um, uh, uh, uh tax them more in terms of in sort of or tax them more in order to ta- cut the PFD in order to keep government funded. How about we tax them more in terms of a sales tax in order to in order to provide all these additional things. They're, they're not putting together who they're taxing and the way in which they're taxing them. They're not putting that together with uh, uh, with, uh, 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 with, with with the problems that they have.
1: What, uh, let's see, Kevin McCabe here appears to be paraphrasing uh, Jay Hammond in some way here. He says, it's not just legislators or the governor, it's the people. We are trained by the permanent fund to want everything for nothing. Look at the plowing articles. Not a single one calls for a way to pay for that. Um, and Hammond talked about this in a specific way, basically talking about that disconnect between the people and the government. Uh, it's why he fought against the, re- the rescinding of the income taxes, because he said they you have no connectivity. To what your government costs you and i know there's people in the chat room who are going to be screaming right now that i'm calling for a tax i'm just saying there is when you feel that tax when you have to pay that tax every year you feel it going uh you know you feel it going into government and you say whoa wait a second that's my money that should come back instead it's this stealth thing that we don't see at all so we don't feel it so we acknowledge so we feel like it's a free it's a free ride that just died hard right instead of money that's coming out of our pocket directly uh there was something to what Hammond said when people see that there is something to that. Oh, absolutely, Michael. Absolutely. And 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 it's and it's who
0: it's who it's directed at. I mean, it, the tax, a tax would hit the top 20%. Even a sales tax would do better than the PFD cuts do in hitting the top 20%. And you would suddenly see the top 20% pushing back. I mean, PFD PFD cuts, if you think about it from a class perspective, from an income bracket perspective. PFD cuts are almost the perfect tax from the standpoint of the top 20%. They don't, they don't, they hardly notice it. It pushes the burden as a percent of income down to middle and lower income Alaska families. They get the benefit of additional government spending, the childcare and everything, the, you know, everything else they want, you know, better you more at the university, more here, more there. It's the perfect tax from the standpoint of the top 20%. It it has no appreciable impact on them. So until you, until you have a tax that hits them in the same way you're hitting everybody else, you're not going to make any progress in terms of pushing back on spending.
1: Brad Keithley Alaskans for sustainable budgets joins us right now. We're continuing with the weekly top three, number three. I can't believe it. Brad actually agrees with something Frank Burkowski said, which I, you know, I guess even a stop clock is right twice a day. Uh, even heralds right occasionally uh Brad uh what's the what's what's the, what's the dealio here give me the rundown
0: so Murkowski has done a, a op-ed that's been in several of the newspapers in the state all of the newspapers of the state it was even in the beacon uh the juno version of it says need for accounting and legislative oversight of the permanent fund and the first paragraph says the governor or excuse me the governor or legislature or both need to conduct an audit format available to the public or engage in serious oversight of the Alaska Permanent Fund's recent erratic decisions that risk fund money. And I can't agree with Frank Murkowski more uh, on this particular issue. The, the The article goes down through the, the list, the various things that Murkowski, where Murkowski thinks the fund has gone wrong. Uh, the the satellite, opening the satellite office and Anchorage and pressing for satellite offices in more locations when the fund's owned uh, staff says the the big thing to attract additional talent is more remote, uh, allowing them to do remote work. Uh, the fund is going in the opposite direction. Funds board's going in the opposite direction by wanting to open satellite offices. He goes down through the in-state investments and and expresses concern at how the the fund's in-state investment strategy uh, is is opaque. You can't see what's going on. There's $200 million going in, but you don't know who it's going to. You don't know what kind of returns it's generating. You don't know who's benefiting. You don't know whether it's being used for political purposes or or is actually resulting in some economic activity that's beneficial to uh, to the fund, which is what it needs to be beneficial to, not to the state, not to jobs, but to the fund. Uh, you can't tell that. Um and he talks about uh, the increased risk that the board ap- appears uh, in, at least some of the members of the board appear, appear to be pushing for uh to get to 100 billion dollars in terms of in terms of fund by increasing leverage or leveraging the fund and and taking more risky returns he complains about all that and says at the end basically we need to have an audit either an audit of the fund or we need more legislative oversight the only the only disagreement I have with Murkowski is on the or. <laughs> we need to have both an audit of the fund because as you and I have talked in previous segments, there, the fund's uh, accounting system has gone very wonky, uh, very not wonky in a good sense, very unstable. How about that? Uh, in 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 order to justify this claim that the earnings reserve is running out of money, uh, they're using an accounting system that, you know, to sort of, pulls things from here, there, and everywhere as expenses and doesn't do the, doesn't attribute the full revenue. Um, and, and, and then, or the full asset level. And then, uh, 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 there's, there's various other accounting issues that, that have arisen with respect to the fund. I, we need, we need both an audit, a serious outside audit, uh, of, of how the fund is accounting for the money as well as legislative oversight, uh of what the fund's doing i think you know as part of that i think we need to redo the board as we've talked on previous programs i think we need to sunset the existing board structure we need to reconstitute the permanent fund board as as experts uh uh, take uh, experts subject to legislative approval uh take out the administration members of the of the board two of the six members of the board uh, are from the administration our commissioners uh take that off of the board uh, get people who are more uh, mem- like members of the advisory board who pushed back on the board a couple of meetings ago when the board was trying to increase the amount of risk they were undertaking. Get people that are more like people who we now have on the advisory board on the board itself, um, and uh, and make the and and make the uh, board subject to the legislative confirmation, not not as not so much as to require legislators to sign off, but to have a public process basically around uh, around the confirmation process around the selection process and the confirmation process so alaskans can see and have a chance to engage in a discussion about who's going on the board before uh before they're put on the board so i frank's got it exactly right we need more legislative oversight of the permanent fund we need an audit of the permanent fund and how they're accounting for the monies and how they're you know how they're accounting for telling us that the era uh, is running, is running out of money. But I think I differ from Frank in the sense that I think we need both. Um, and I think we need an additional step of, of sunsetting the, the current permanent fund, uh, current permanent, current permanent fund board structure. Um, and I think we just need to, to uh, restart on, uh, on how we're governing the permanent fund.
1: I think you're being too kind, quite honestly, when it comes to the accounting measures and the things that they're showing they're, they're lying brad they're basically lying it's a fictitious the report where they show here's what uh, oh man here's how we're running out of money and look at all the expenditures in future years never accounting for the revenue that's going to be deposited in future years either and showing this grim picture i mean it's cooking the books that's exactly i mean any accounting firm in the country would throw those people out on their ear and laugh them out of the building. Anytime you look at a projection and say, oh, look at what's going on, it's going to eat up the ERA. Look at all this money that's going out when we've included the expenditures and the expenses for the next three years, but we're not including any of the revenues. Of course, it's going to go. Like I said before, it's like saying, look at your mortgage payments as they're going out right here. But we're not going to put any of your paychecks in this account into this uh, formula to show you what your paychecks are like. So if you only have this much money, you're going to be out of money in three or four months it's not even and it's not showing
0: the prepayments it's not showing the prepayments that the legislature has made exactly. for, uh, it's
1: for, lying. for
0: for inflation proofing it, 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 <laughs> well yeah i mean if i accuse the alaska house coalition of lying it's not a not a big step to have accused the permanent fund board uh of lying and and it it is misleading certainly uh, it's intentionally misleading i suppose that's the legal definition of lying so so i i would agree with you it, it's an agenda it's an agenda-driven accounting system, right? We want to say we want to restructure the the permanent fund to merge the permanent fund earnings with the corpus, so we can start draining. You know, if we if we have years where there wouldn't be enough earnings, we can drain. We can start draining the corpus. We want to do that, so we need to have a reason to do that. So we need the we can claim the earnings reserve account is running out of money, and putting the state at risk. So we need we need those two things. So let's create an accounting system that shows, notwithstanding the facts, that shows the earnings reserve uh, accounts running out of money. It it is an agenda driven accounting system as opposed to an accounting accounting
1: system. It's outcome based. Here's the outcome we want. Make the narrative fit the outcome. That's exactly what it is, which is lying. It's false. It is fraudulent. It is deceptive. I mean, I don't know how I could be any stronger about it. They're basically looking at you and saying, oh, no, look, it's going to run out of completely out of money. Forget about the fact that we didn't put any of the right numbers in there. This is what we say. So do as we say, combine them together so we can have access to the corpus. That's what's going on.
0: Not only did we not put the right numbers in there, we didn't put any numbers in there for exactly. Exactly. on the asset side, and we inflated the the expenditure side by bringing in future year numbers uh, to do it. And it's an accounting system that not even not even legislative finance will will agree to, will sign off on. So it's yeah, it's it, it it it's a it's a bad system. But it it goes to the point. It goes to Frank's point that that we need to have an audit. In in Frank's case, that we need to have an audit or legislative oversight. My case, we need to have both. And we need to undo, we need to redo the permanent fund board to make it into a board that uh, that's more responsible. I mean, we've got we've got an agenda-driven board, we've got a politically-driven board, we've got a we've got a, a, a you know a ego-driven board. In the case of Ellie Rubenstein, you know, I want to be I want to be part of a I want to join the hundred billion dollar club. This is the only board that'll have me, so I'm going to push this board to a hundred billion dollars, so I can be. So I can be part of the hundred billion dollar club. I mean, ego, political, it's just, it, it's a mess. And, um, and, and I've, frankly, I've lost faith in it. I think it's clear that Murkowski's lost faith in it. Uh, others have lost faith in it. And, uh, and we just need to, we need to reset it. We've been through this as a state. We've been through this before in the late 1990s. We had, we had this, these same issues come up with the Alaska public utilities commission the legislature stepped in sunset the public utilities commission created the regulatory commission of alaska uh, uh, and and reset the 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 responsibilities and the requirements and the and the qualifications and um and just restarted the damn thing and it's worked well it's worked well since in that case so i, th- I think it's time to seriously uh, uh give consideration to and ultimately do that uh, for the permanent fund board
1: I just want somebody to sit in front of a presentation from the Permanent Fund Corporation while they're throwing all these fallacious numbers out there and somebody from the, from the majority of the minority to go, where's the revenue from the deposits of the earnings in this equation? That's all I want. I want somebody to call out the elephant in the room to say, well, wait, you've got all these expenditures for future years, but you don't have any of the revenue for future years included. How can we trust this chart? If you don't include any of the revenues that are there, I, it's all that, I want. It's all I want is somebody to ask that question because that would, again, expose the elephant in the room. I want something more. That I want
0: one additional thing to that, which is where where is the prepayments that, that the legislature right. approved? Exactly. You know, Four the $8 billion, the $8 billion eight in prepayments uh, yeah. that the legislature approved for, for inflation proofing. Where, where have you accounted for those? And the answer to those is going to be, well, that's our money now. <laughs> we we're we not going to treat it as prepayments anymore. That's, that's $8 billion more money. You don't, you don't get the benefit of that. You still have to pay us for inflation proofing, even though we got, even though we got that $8 billion. I, you know, it's it, the, the permanent fund board has become agenda driven. I mean, that's, and, and they've got numerous agendas going on. As I said, some of it's ego driven, some of it's political driven, you know, you got Jason Bruni and and uh and commissioner revenue adam Crum on there who are getting ready to run for governor they've got an agenda every everybody on there's got some sort of agenda uh and and they're all pursuing those agendas they don't happen to be they don't happen to match up with the you know the slow and steady wins the race type of type of uh, uh administration of the permanent fund that that i think alaskans want out of the permanent fund board but it's just a very agenda-driven, and then you, and then it backs into the accounting system. Oh, you know, we got to say the sky is falling on the earnings reserve account. So how do we do that? We, as you say, we leave out revenues and we include excess expenses. And in my case, you leave out assets. You leave out the prepayments that you that you previously accrued. It's just just agenda-driven. So we're not we're not getting straightforward answers. Somebody said some people say, "Well, that's hap- that's that's what happened when you lost Angela." We didn't get we didn't get particularly great answers out of Angela either. As as some might recall, Angela was one of those who who sat at the at the defense table or yeah at the defense table when uh, in the Wilkowsky lawsuit to to reinstate the permanent fund dividends to constitutionalize recognize that the permanent fund dividends are constitutional. Angela was one of those pushing back on that again. So the permanent fund could have that money as opposed to Alaskans having that money. So it's it's um, I I think we've just got the structure wrong. I I don't we've allowed individual egos we've allowed individual agendas and non non slow and steady wins the race agendas to to begin to dominate uh, the operation of the permanent fund. And And I think it's time to to push back on that.
1: And, of course, all of this at this point could be laid back at the feet of Governor Mike Dunleavy, who is responsible for the entire makeup of this board at this point. I mean, it's his agenda that's being driven, whether he wants to take responsibility for it or not. It's his agenda that's being driven by this board, which is completely 180 degrees around from what he ran on originally.
0: Yeah, it's it's the agenda. I don't know if it's his agenda or if he's just... You know, he's just put people on there that, that, and allowed them to operate their own individual agendas. I mean, I don't know if it's his agenda. Yeah, maybe his agenda to grow it to a hundred billion dollars I mean, and and take. He's going to take risk.
1: responsibility, whether it was his intention or not. Yeah. It's his responsibility, yeah. right at that point.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's right, and it's and I and that's part of the problem, I think, frankly, with with having a, a gubernatorial only appointed board without legislative oversight, without public oversight. Again, when I say legislative oversight, it's just, it's public oversight. I think I think a number of people, when he considered putting Jason Bruni back on the board, Jason Bruni was on the board as commissioner, as the DEC commissioner, the Department of Environmental Conservation Commissioner. He was on the board. Then he left the DEC job, went off the board because he no longer held that commissioner role. And then, Uh, Governor Dunleavy put him back on the board as an individual uh, to replace Steve Rieger uh, when Steve Rieger's uh, term ran out. And I don't think Jason doesn't have I mean, Jason's background, frankly, is in running trade associations and in running government agencies. He doesn't have a lot of background in running running true businesses or making investments or financing or that sort of thing. And I think there would have been a lot of pushback from the public and through them, through the through the legislature on on jason's appointment and i don't think jason's appointment ever would have occurred frankly uh if if the governor didn't have the ability to do that on his own but the governor you know having the ability to do it without legislative oversight without you know public input the governor made that appointment because jason's a politico that you know has 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 done what the governor's wanting to wanted him to do or the governor's listened to him and shaping what he wants to do and And, um, and I think the governor put him on there for that reason. So it's, I I think there would have been pushback. I think that's one of the things of legislative oversight, not necessarily that it wouldn't be somewhat political, but at least there would be some oversight on what the, on what the governor's up to when he makes these
1: appointments. Well, Brad, you have laid it out for us yet again. Uh, the pain is real. Um, it again, as it's the old, um, It's the old adage of, you know, you know, those who fail to learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat it. And those of us that do know history are the ones that are doomed to watch the whole thing happen in front of us. Right. I mean, that's the that's kind of the whole thing at this point. We're the ones that are sitting by with our eyes closed and our hands over our eyes going. The train wreck is coming and nobody's stopping it. We, we, you know, we can only warn so much before it goes on.
0: (laughs) and and juno i mean to go back to that segment for a second juno sees sees it coming juno yeah. sees that the bottom 80 percent aren't advancing and it's only the top 20 percent advancing they're seeing the hemorrhaging of people uh from th- from that occurring but yet you know they just keep on going they keep going the same way yeah
1: can't can't fix it brad Keithley, alaskans for sustainable budgets final thoughts brad here quickly about 60 seconds
0: well, Michael, it's uh we're entering into budget season. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be another uh, wild ride. We're not being honest with ourselves. Our leaders aren't being honest with us. Uh, we'll see what the governor does in in mid December when he comes out with the budget. But uh, I'm going to be looking at the revenue numbers and see if he's uh if he's being honest with Alaskans about the revenue numbers.
1: You don't think he's going to do carbon credits part, do? <laughs> I mean, you know, this is how I'm going to balance the budget with these carbon credits to see what you, I mean. Oh, man. All right. Well, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, my friend, have a happy Thanksgiving and uh, appreciate you coming on board. Thanks for joining us. You've got to put your wine smoothies up on the recipe list for the thing. Uh, I guess that's true. That's true. I saw I saw that we're,
0: we're starting the recipe list
1: again, yeah, so I'll, again. I'll get them up there. All right.
0: Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the weekly top three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Substack pages, and keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the Weekly Top Three.